This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're talking about alive, and we're going to the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, <clears throat> find a book of Ephesians, New Testament, toward the end. Uh, you'll come to it, one of Paul's epistles, one of his main epistles, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're doing a series out of this particular chapter of the Bible. Uh, sometimes we do themes, sometimes we do topics and subjects and books of the Bible. We're doing a chapter of the Bible uh, from Ephesians 2 verse 1 right through to verse uh, 22. Uh, we've been covering the verses. Today I'm going to cover verse 18, and <clears throat> you'll find that in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll get to it in just a moment. We're talking about the word alive. Would you say the word alive? alive? Alive. So we're talking about alive, and our definition for the series is this. Your life is meant to be lived from a living center. So we keep coming back to that because that's where life begins, that living center, that core. Your core, your heart, is to be bursting with the richness of Christ and breaking into the new. Everything we do at City Bible Church, at least we try, we try to make sure that every person has uh, <clears throat> knowledge of what we're trying to achieve in Christ. And that is, we're trying to get every person to have <clears throat> their core filled with the person of Christ. That, that heart issue that is so important to you and so important to us is that you find Jesus in the midst of the worship, the preaching, the small group, whatever experience it might be, is that you find Christ. And so that's what Ephesians 2 is all about also, is, is to just direct yourself back to your core for a moment and simply ask yourself a question, how's my heart? How's my core? How am I living from my center? Is it alive? Am I stale? Am I dead? Is it flowing? Is it exciting? Is it, uh, have I lost something with that? And so you, you go back to the questions that really matter, and that is, how is my core? How is my heart? How is Jesus in me? How alive is that? Christianity is supposed to be all about life. Ephesians 2 and verse 18. I'm going to read two translations. For through him we have... Now, if you're reading your new King James or whatever translation you have... I'm reading from the ESV and the message, so it's going to be a little different. But I want you to notice uh, whatever translation you have is the through him is uh, where Paul is now going to land. For through him, everyone say through him. Amen. Through him we both have, and this is the message today, we have access, 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 access. It's amazing that this old Bible word is so relevant to our vocabulary today. The word access, even as I was studying, it was kind of humorous because I was trying to get into certain things I was doing when I was studying for this message, and I got into uh, a certain website, and I was trying to get into their research, and it says, access denied. And I thought, well, that's just about right. Uh, just as I'm trying to get into this, access denied. Wrong password. Review your password. Sometimes I can't even get into my own emails because I forget my password. And I've got to text 
Sonny or Brian and say, what is the password for this? I have too many places to get into, too many different passwords, and I'm not great for remembering all of them. And then, you know, they're case sensitive and this and that. And so access, sometimes access can be irritable. Sometimes when I get denied or when I'm trying to get into my emails and I can't get in quick enough, it irritates me that the computer won't let me have what's mine. I'm saying to the computer, this, this is mine, it's not yours. You can't deny me access just because of one little letter, but that's the way it's set up. Access denied, no matter how many times you do it, it's still denial. So uh, it's, it's interesting to me that this old Bible word is so relevant. Everybody knows what access means. From a door security, garage security, gate security, car security, bank account security, access is huge when you make a deposit, when you try to withdraw, when you try access into something that supposedly is yours, and we're talking about something that is. And so we're talking this morning about the word access. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Message translation. He treated us as equals. And so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit. And we have equal access to the Father. Now the word access, this word used in the Greek without going into that because we don't need to. But the word in a, in a nutshell, although <clears throat> I could definitely go off on it more. But in a simple nutshell... This would be the definition of access. Admission into the presence of a person in high position. So the idea of access is that you have entrance into the presence of a person who was a dignitary or a king, high up person. You have access to that person. Now in the Bible days, especially Old Testament, right up into Paul's day, access into the king or to the dignitaries or into any kind of uh, temple or place or a place of power was a big deal. And there was a lot of shut doors and a lot of no's to a lot of groups of people that could never ever enter that particular place. And so Paul's using a concept that they understand, they get this, they understand what access really is. When, when you have permission to admit yourself into some place or you have rejection and no access, very big in Paul's world, a privilege of approach to enter with confidence. Back in Abraham Lincoln's time, uh, there was a Confederate soldier sitting out in front and had been there for uh, a few days trying to see President Lincoln because he wanted to communicate to President Lincoln about what he lost in the war. He wanted to personally communicate it. Every time he went up to the guards, they'd cross their guns, deny him access. He'd turn around, go back and sit in front, and he did this for two or three days. Finally, a young boy came by and noticed just how dejected this soldier was, says, what, what is your problem? He says, I've been trying to see the president. Nobody will let me in to see the president. And I'm not moving until I see him, but they just won't let me every time I go up. So he goes to the store, and the boy says, well, just come with me. So as they went to the same place where the man had been rejected every time, as soon as they approached the guards, the guards 
immediately stood to attention and welcomed him in. He was baffled. Then he went right through the hallways, right down to the library, opened the door without knocking, and went right in, and there was President Lincoln sitting at his desk. Well, the person who brought the soldier in was Tad Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's son. And so nobody's going to deny him access. The guard stood attention. He just went right in, no appointment. The dad says, oh, Tad, what are you doing? Tad says, I got a guy here who has a problem. Abraham said, well, put him down. And so there the man had all the access he needed, could tell his whole story, all because he had that particular person to let him in to the president's library, president's office. Such is a great illustration on what Christ does for you and me. Even though we get denied and even though we get frustrated and we don't know what to do, we have a special privilege. We have someone who ushers us right into a place that we might even feel a little uncomfortable with sometimes or feel a little baffled that, wow, how did I get here? How can this be so real? How can I be in the presence of this living God, this king, this person of absolute authority? How do I get there? And, and maybe he doesn't want me here, or maybe I shouldn't be here, or maybe, you know, he's going to say some things to me because he knows things about me that I don't want to hear, but I still need to be in his presence. And such it is the concept that Paul is introducing here about access, this, this word on having access. Now, the Greek word is actually made up of, of two words. Pros ego is, is the two words that make up the one Greek word. Pros or pros means facing, facing. And ego means to bring. So you put the two words together and it means bring face-to-face. So the idea that Paul is talking about here is much more than just a courtyard or even just in a uh, room with the king. It's more of a personalized bringing you face-to-face with someone. One of the things that I used to love about uh, Dick Iverson's wife, the founded pastor of this church, Edie Iverson, when I was uh, first here in Bible college, what was I, 20 20-some years old, 23 when I got here. And uh, Sister Edie was the kind of person that when she talked with you, she would get right in your face. And I mean about that far from your nose. She would come right there. And the first time she did it to me, I found myself going, back off. What are you doing? She would, and if you lean back, she'd lean forward. <laughs> and she'd, how many remember Edie Iverson doing that to you? I mean, that was her personality. She would just get right in your face my whole life that I served with Dick and Edie, my whole friendship with Edie. She was always that way. Frank, have you taken a day off? Uh, You can't look anywhere. You can't go anywhere. Edie has you by your throat right there. Frank, No, Edie, I haven't. Then you take a day off. Okay, Edie. Yes. Why? Because it's face-to-face. It's not just office-to-office. It's face-to-face. When you understand what Paul is teaching here, the access that he's talking about is for you to move into the space of face-to-face. 
not outer court shouting at God during your worship. He knows you. He really knows you. He loved you. He really, he knows me. And you shout it to God somewhere in universe or church or way over here in your life. It's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about face-to-face where you don't even have to shout. You can just whisper because he's right there. He's right there. And you, and you come to that relational position, and that's what Paul is really talking about with the access. We have exclusive privilege to enter the places that are close to others. Not everyone can get that close to God. Some people will just shout, cry out, ask petitions from afar, from afar. Some people will not enter. They won't access. They won't use the code. They won't do anything to open the door. They will be just as happy standing on the outside of the fence looking in. But that's not what I'm talking about. Hopefully that's not what you will do. And I can explain to you a little bit more why you can move closer. The exclusive privilege to enter into places that are close to others. You've been there, I've been there. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes. You try to get into somewhere and someone stops you and says, I'm sorry, you can't. No, you can't go in there. Gee, I didn't know that. How embarrassing is that? I got to turn around. Denial is a horrible thing. Rejection's a horrible thing. When we talk about Christ, those words don't belong there. Denial, rejection, shame, guilt, shouting from afar. Those are ideas that we can solve. Those are things that, that we really should get through when it comes to our Christianity. And for those, however you got here, why ever you got here, that are Maybe outside of Christ. You don't know Christ. You don't know God. And for you, the worship service is something you watch. It's like, how interesting is this? Or even something you feel. How different is the feeling I have here? It doesn't mean you come face to face. It doesn't mean you open the door. It doesn't mean you put in the code. But you do feel something. You do see something. You are a spectator. That's okay. If you've come in that way, that is totally okay. Our desire is that you don't stay a spectator, but you get face-to-face with God. That's the desire, all right? So the Apostle Paul is talking about an access that you would have and come face-to-face. And he uses the word here where he says, we have, if you want to, again, just look at every word in the verse in 2.18 where he says, and we have, everyone say, we have, Everyone say the word have. Okay, this little word, and that's what's so amazing about the Bible is you can actually study every word of these manuscripts and you can get a, a, a deeper feel for how they were writing. And so when, when I look at this access, okay, I understand face-to-face is going to bring us in. It's not a denial. But he says we have access. And the, and the word have in the Greek here means to grasp something, to, to have it, to grasp it. It means to take possession of it, to own it. It, it has the idea 
of seizing something when you see it. You seize it. You have it. You take it to yourself. And so what I'm, what I'm talking about this morning is a concept that I want you to have. I want you to seize and grip and take a hold of and own it and go after it and, and bring it close to you because life is too short for you to live on the outer court or the other side or you know, on the outside of the door, the outside of the gate. It's, it's meant to be lived close to God. It's meant to be lived within whisper of God. It's meant to be lived in the presence of God. It's meant to be lived close, close, near, 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 near. The New Testament word is come close. The Old Testament word was stay away. But the New Testament is draw near, come in. I am the way, come close. I want you to enter. That's, that's the New Testament because of Christ. It's all an invitation to, to come closer, come closer, come closer, come closer. Church is not supposed to be Old Testament. It's not supposed to be where you feel like you should stay away. You don't have the right sacrifice. You're not the right priest. It's not the right day for you. You don't understand how to get to the most holy place. You don't even understand the presence of God. Matter of fact, it's a little scary to you. It's something you don't even know what to deal with, so you stay away from it. That's Old Testament. That was before the time of Christ, before the birth and life, and death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. From that point on, the veil was rent, and the message was, come close. Not just one day a year. Not just when you feel good. Not just when you found the right goat, or the right lamb, or the right sacrifice, or whatever. All the rituals of washing, and the book of Hebrews goes through all of this. All the rituals they had to go through just to get cleansed and to stand at all before God, but not close just before, just before God, but not close to God. New Testament, the veil's rent, the message changes. Old Testament is what? Keep your distance. Sometimes church says that and it shouldn't. It's, it's, we don't want you to keep your distance. We want you to come just as you are. We want you in. We want you to bring all the dirty laundry. We don't want you to shove it into your car, into your apartment, and leave it all at home, then come to church because, you know, you're not supposed to bring your baggage and your brokenness and your hurts and your failures and your sin and, 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 and. Christianity was never meant to be. Keep your distance. Hide your baggage. Only bring your best self to church. Dress it up, act it up, live it up, and bring it in. That's what, it, that's what we're all about. And so everybody dresses up, lives it up, puts on the church smile, puts on whatever they think is religion, and they, and they try to come, but they know they're a long ways off, and they even feel the, the church itself sometimes saying, keep your distance. You've got a lot to do with your own life. You have a lot of baggage you better take care of. And by the way, we don't allow that. And by the way, we're against that. And by the way, 
If you have this failure in your life, that's perversion. You don't belong here. And by the way, and so the church can become Old Testament in spirit and New Testament in position. And because of that, we have people that won't draw near. They won't bring their real self. They bring their religious self. They won't bring the real problem. They bring the hidden self problem. Just, I'm not going to bring total. I'm just going to bring a piece. I would like to encourage every person in the room and rooms right across the campuses today. Bring your whole self to God. Bring your whole self. If there's something you're embarrassed about, remember this. Jesus is not embarrassed about it. If there's something that you have a huge broken piece, remember, he is the healer. He is the person saying, bring it here. As a parent, have you ever been in a situation? I have. I've had four children. They're all adult children. And they were all born in sin. Shaping in iniquity because of Sharon. <laughs> Have you ever had to say to a child, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me you were going through this or did this or my speech, don't lie to me. Well, Dad, I couldn't tell you why, because you would be so upset. Of course I would be upset. <laughs> and just like you're doing now. Okay, take a breath. I am not going to kill you. <laughs> but why didn't you bring it? Well, the reason why is exactly my reaction as a parent, and it could be a problem. The very reason why they don't bring it is because they don't know the response that God will give them. They don't know if God will also straight arm them. You have a problem. Rejection. Keep your distance. Change your life. What are you doing here? You are not supposed to bring that into this place. Is that, is that really the message? It's not. It's a wrong message, and that's not the one I'm preaching because that's not what I see at all that Paul is saying in these scriptures. Three access doors that you have. Number one, access to God. Obviously, it's got to be the first door. But I want you to put it down this way. Access to God through Christ, which is our salvation. Okay, we get that when we first start. At least I think we do that I have access to God not because of anything I've done, not because of the works, not because of any good things I've done or bad. My access to God, when I come to Christ the very first time, I think I understand it more and the first time than I do the 500th time when I'm five years old in Jesus why I still have access to God. But when I first start, I understand Ephesians 2.18 Listen to this translation. Through whom we have our permanent entry. Okay, access to God comes by faith in Christ. I haven't got to that slide yet. Through whom we have our permanent entry.
permanent entry by faith into his unmerited favor. This is a great translation, a literal translation from the Greek into us trying to read it, through whom we have our permanent entry by faith into his unmerited favor in which we have been placed in that permanently. So we have been placed and in that permanently. So when I come to Christ and I find Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, this is what the message translation says in Romans 5 and verse 2. This is the great translation for Romans 5, 2 that is saying what I'm saying right now about access to God through Christ. Okay, I got that. But it's through Christ by faith. You can't access God through mom, through dad, through family, through church, through pope, through Mary, through angels, through knowledge, through good works. None of those work. Only through Christ and personal faith. You have to have a personal faith encounter with Christ yourself. I was in church for years before I, I had a personal encounter. I understood salvation. I watched my dad preach salvation. I was in the church my whole life. He was a Baptist pastor my whole teenage years, all, all the way through my whole life and, until I left home. And so I understood that, but I never encountered that. I never personally accepted Christ. I never personally was born again. I was all around it. I watched people do it. I watched people sing hymns. I watched people go to the altar. I watched people get water baptized. I listened to sermons. I went to youth camps. I went to Sunday school. I did all the things you're supposed to do, but I had never put personal faith in Christ. So inside, I was dead. Message translation, Romans 5.2, and that's not all. Romans 5.2, we throw open our doors to God. That's what salvation is. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Now the slide. Access to God comes how? By faith in Christ. It is a personal faith experience. It's when I believe. What you believe does matter, by the way. What you confess matters. What you say from your heart and your mouth creates a supernatural chemistry called salvation, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. It is a supernatural chemistry with something that doesn't really make a lot of sense to the human mind. If I believe in my heart and say it with my mouth, something happens, that's exactly what the Bible says. You might not feel like the dam has been broken and all of a sudden everything just comes to a, 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 a super emotional release and you find Christ. Sometimes it's not that way. But when the seed is sown, the confession is made, and the heart believes, you believe, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died. He rose from the dead. He's alive forevermore. 
He paid for my sins. He paid for my failures. His blood was shed for me. I choose to believe that. And when I choose to believe that, my heart of faith opens up to a new world of faith. And when I say it, it's the creation of that new world. Something happens inside of me and I am born again. It's an amazing thing to me. I marvel at it every time. It seems so simple, but it is so absolutely deep when a person believes. Okay, so your access to God is through salvation. Only through Christ. John 10 and verse 9. I am the door. John 10, 9. If anyone enters by me, this is what the Bible says, not what... I'm not trying to be narrow. But the Bible says in John 10 and verse 9, Jesus is the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out, find pasture. But if anyone comes another way, he is a thief and a robber. Wow. It pretty much says no one else can save you but Jesus. Buddha can't save you. Wrong beliefs can't save you. Dogmas and doctrines of false religions will not put you in the face of Jesus. Neither, as I said, do popes and worship of Mary as is big in some countries. And people who approach God through all different kinds of ideas the Bible says, and this is the book for me, I'm the door. If you want to enter, there's one door. Well, you know, I don't know if I want to believe that. That's your business. I can't help that. Am I going to argue with you? No. If you want to tell me all the other doors, have at it. I get people telling me all kinds of stuff that I put in trash cans. I, I, I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm just going to tell you. If that is right, you better get it right. Because there's no other door, there's no other door. He is the only way to God. And Jesus says, enter into me. Not doctrine, me, person, enter into my work and my life. We are the only religion on the face of planet Earth that worships a person, not a doctrine, that actually encounters a person. And we're the only religion on Earth that encounters a person who's still alive. All other religions worship dead people. Thank you very much. I prefer to worship a live person. And Jesus and the resurrection is a big deal. Amen, Frank. So good, so good. Okay, the second door you enter is you have access to God through Christ. You have access to the throne of grace. I chose this one because there's, there's probably about six access doors in the New Testament. I tried to narrow it some. But I chose this one because it's so good and so real to every person in this room and all the rooms. Access to the throne of grace through the Holy Spirit, our helper. 
You have access to God through Christ, our mediator, redemption, propitiation, sacrifice, atonement, covenant maker. Okay, I enter in. But then I have continual access to this thing called the throne of grace. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a high priest, Jesus, who has passed, passed through, passed through, passed through, accessed into, entered, has already gone before you. He has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. That's who I'm talking about, Paul said. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Message translation. Now that we know what we have, Jesus the high priest, this is what he says, Eugene Peterson, message translation, Hebrews 4. He says, with ready access to God. Let's not let this slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, and by the way, he has experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give. Take mercy and accept help. Can I hear an amen? So you have access to a place of, of grace. The throne of grace is what? Where God distributes these things. Kindness, mercy, unconditional love, forgiveness. So when I come into God, I stay there. But as it says in John 10 and verse 9, I go in and out. That is, I have a relationship that's growing. Not that I go unsaved and saved, but I I do this relational building with Jesus as I learn to walk with him and I learn to become like him. And during that time, I feel my needs. I feel my failures. I feel the things that I really, I really need help with. I need help with my marriage, with my kids, with my finance, with my life, with my habits, with my soul, with the way I think. Talking to a person just the other day about the way they think and, and I was trying to get them to see how negative the strongholds were and how how they were destroying that person's life and trying to convince them that they can get help with their thought process because their thought process is a lie. What the thoughts are telling them is a lie. You can't live by that lie. If you live by that lie, you're going to destroy your entire life. You have to pull yourself up, renew your mind, and come to the throne of grace and give God all that stuff and all that negative stuff and say to God, I am going to think different because you're going to forgive me and cleanse me and help me. You're going to help me. It's not going by yourself in life. It's Jesus helping every person. A little boy went to Amanda to get a puppy, like little boys do. True story. He went in and told the man, I, 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 want, to, I want to get a puppy. Told the man, what's well, so, Out comes the mother with five puppies. Four of the puppies just come running right up to him. It was all over. But the fifth puppy was lagging behind and limping very bad. 
And so the boy says, what's, what's wrong with the, the little puppy? Man says, uh, he was born without a hip socket. So he'll be crippled his whole life, son. That puppy's really not for sale. Look at the other four. The boy says, no. I want that puppy. He says, you don't understand. That puppy will never walk. That puppy will never play with you. That puppy is crippled forever. Choose one of the healthy puppies. The little boy leaned over and he pulls up his pant leg, just like I do. I have a brace. I never thought of that. What an example. <laughs> Jeez, I am a genius. He pulled up his pant leg and he said to the man, because the boy was crippled, he says, uh, I don't walk so good myself. The man says, oh, I'm very sorry. He says, I want the crippled puppy. The guy says, I'll give him to you free. The, the boy said, you know, that puppy's going to need someone who understands crippledness, someone who will love it unconditionally, someone who will always be there, even when it wants to run and play and it can't, I can carry it. I can make it because I understand Jesus is our high priest who understands crippledness. He understands the fifth puppy. He understands pieces in our life that others might say they're not worth much and you know, they're going to be that way the rest of their life. You might have something in you that you might be that way in a healed sense, but Maybe there is a brokenness or a peace or a crippleness or something that happens to you that you can't go back and just fix like that. But Jesus understands right where you are in the reality of who you are. Jesus says, I will be your owner and I'll play with you when no one else will play with you. I'll be there because I understand you. I, I really, I really like Jesus. Come on, is that right? I do. I think Jesus is just too good to be true. He's too amazing. He's too much like that little boy. When other people say, no, no, she says, oh, yeah, yeah, that, they're mine. I know exactly what to do with them. When you enter the throne of grace, there's help for you with the Jesus who knows you and loves you. The third access is access into the presence of God through prayer and worship. Now, there's other ways we could talk about reading the word, meditation, and fasting. and there's a lot, but I've just chosen the two most basic, most common, and most used in Scripture. To access the presence of God, you have two keys, you have two codes that you can use anytime. Prayer, and worship, how good they are, how amazing they are. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters, Hebrews 6, 19, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner, Jesus, has already entered, 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 we entered the presence, so all this language. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest now again we could spend a lot of time on that because 
these folks understood the context. We don't always understand the context of the tabernacle, the temple, the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place, and the day of atonement one day a year, and the veil, and all the stuff they went through just to get to that. And now Paul is saying to the writer of Hebrews, have boldness to enter the holiest. Not by bulls and goats, but by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way. He's concentrated for you. He's your high priest. And then he says, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Wow, what language. And our bodies washed with pure water. When you bring yourself into the presence of God, you bring spirit, soul, and body, and all of those can be taken care of by the work of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus, and the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. Even the deeds you've done in your body. Things that are evil, wrong. And your body and the instruments of your body was used to perform the evil. When you come into the presence of God, the Holy Spirit can even wash your body from that evil act that you're so ashamed of or it's so stamped on your mind. In today's world, I suspect what I'm saying is very real. We're entering into God's presence through prayer. Omnipresence, manifested presence, but the presence I'm talking about is the felt, realized presence of God. Not just a sovereign presence out there somewhere or just manifested at some revival somewhere, but the felt, personal, realized, face-to-face, -face, me and Jesus presence. You get that through prayer. Brother Lawrence, in his book, if you've never read it, it's, it's a book that everybody should read to practice the presence of God. He says is to live in conscious awareness engaging, continuous conversation, an inner life of unceasing prayer. He says, this is what preserved me. I make it my priority to persevere in the holy presence wherein I maintain a simple attention and a fond regard for God, which I may call an actual presence of God. To put it another way, it is an habitual, silent, private conversation of the soul that goes on continually with God. Entering into that personal presence, that's a prayer life, and that's one you should have, where that presence is so real to you. Then you enter his presence through worship, which our church does so very well, through the worship spirit, entering into the presence of God. Why we lift hands, clap, sing, and do the stuff we do is not just because it's a form it's a heart hungry for God it's a soul entering into the presence of God it's, it's a sign of surrender it's a sign of life thou art holy O God who inhabits the praises of Israel Psalm 22 3 who builds a throne upon my praises there's something about accessing the presence of God through praise, through prayer. Anytime, anytime. I can remember when we were pioneering church in Eugene and I was here 
for years on staff and, and had all the brothers and sisters around me, etc. Then to go out to Pioneer, I have 18 Bible college students, basically, and a few other couples from the church, and I'm 30 years old, so we're all just very, very new at doing what we're going to do. And I can remember about three months into it, feeling absolutely alone, abandoned, feeling out of touch, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like, what in the world have I done to my life? The finances, the, the social, the, the, the spiritual, the responsibilities, the, you know, missing the chapels now as I was in for all those years. I went to college and taught in college and missing rich church services where the presence of God was always there. And now it's just us 18 kids with a, one band and, and trying to lead at a hotel with a swimming pool right next to us and people screaming and hollering and we're trying to worship. It's, it's hardly what you call a real mountaintop experience. And so I, I remember in my car realizing, wow, I'm overwhelmed. So I pulled over and I began to sing praises to God. In my spiritual language, pieces of choruses I could remember, I just began to worship the Lord. You know what? Immediately, the presence of God just and I felt revived, refreshed, entered, something going on here as I just basked in the presence of God. And then I, I, I remember that principle so well, how great it is by yourself, with someone else or in a church service when you know how to enter the presence of God. And in that comes everything that happens in the corporate can happen in your individual prayer life. But when it comes to the corporate and hundreds of people, it's even more powerful sometimes as we all just love Jesus. Can I hear an amen?